This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. I've been looking forward to today. I hope you have too. We are continuing um, the series that we started a number of weeks ago, a series on the creed or what we believe. And this is a series where we are really just spelling out from the front those things that are vital to the Christian faith, those things that we hold dear to, those things that we think if they're taken out of Christianity, there would be no Christianity to talk about. And so in the first week, we talked about the Father Almighty, creator of all things, invisible and visible. And then following that, we talked about Jesus, his only begotten son. Following that, we talked about humanity, how Jesus came as a man, but also how we as humanity or as human beings fall so far short of his standard. We are not good by ourselves. We need Jesus. We then talked about the cross, and that is the center of our salvation. That is where we meet with Jesus. That's where it all happens. Without the cross, there would be no faith. It would just be a club. And it was a terrible time for our Savior. He died a painful death for us, but it had to be that way that we would gain salvation. And then we talked about the resurrection, which is, if you want, a flip side of the cross, because the cross without a resurrection is of no use. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives us the confidence that we too shall one day rise from the dead. So that's the hope we have in the cross. And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I was expecting some excitement somewhere in the room. I'm, I'm really excited about today. But I find the Holy Spirit is very contentious, very misunderstood, very difficult subject to talk about. And many people have different interpretations about what it is that we ought to be talking about. Who is the Holy Spirit? How do you get him? When does he come to us? What does he do? What is his purpose? What is his function? How does he operate? How do we relate to him? What are his gifts? What is the fruit of the Spirit? All fruits. And is there different? How do I receive and when do you receive him? How can I be sure that I've received him? These are some, some of the questions that we ask ourselves concerning the Holy Spirit. And so it can be quite a difficult um, topic to navigate. But what I hope to do today is really go back to the basics and talk about what we believe, who the Holy Spirit is, why he's given to us. And then at the end, I'll talk a bit about how we in KP believe he operates amongst us. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. This is part of the Nicene Creed, where we're basing most of this material from. In my secondary school years, I, I attended um, a Catholic-run mission, mission school. And uh, I remember as a young boy being quite concerned, of course, about the newness of you know, transitioning from primary school to high school, but also how different church was going to be compared to the church that I was raised in. I was raised in a church 
pretty much like ours today. And of course, I was right. There were quite a few differences. Um, the main service is called Mass. It's a pretty rigid structure. There are things you do and things you don't do. There are times to sit, there are times to stand, there are times to kneel, and they're all really uh, laid out for you. You can't just do it any time you want. And so it was very different for me. I never could work out when to do what, actually. But something really surprised me, even back then, I was about 12 or 13, and it was just that there was so much of the Holy Spirit in Roman Catholic liturgy. We sang about him, we talked about him, we prayed to him, we prayed about him. He was there in the sermons, he was there in the lessons, and I wasn't expecting that, because from where I came from, I thought that we understood the Holy Spirit, and they didn't. And somehow, you know, he had fallen out of favor with that particular church. I was wrong. I was very wrong. The Holy Spirit is in the Roman Catholic liturgy and as he is in a lot of other church liturgy, other denominations. However, I think one of the problems is that the expression of it is very different. The expression of how we believe the Holy Spirit relates to people is very different. And sometimes I also think that the leaders of the churches or the denominations caught something of the revelation of the Holy Spirit but have not been able to transmit it very well to the members of the church. A bit like if we catch something of the Holy Spirit but you guys don't really catch on. So it's a bit like you know, that game called Broken Telephone where someone in the room whispers something to the next person, who whispers this to the next person, and by the time you've gone through about 10, 15 people, the message is distorted. It's not the same as the original message. And I feel that's a lot of what has happened over the ages in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we want to go back into Scripture to the beginning and look at what Jesus intended the Holy Spirit for us to be. I want to point out a few things as we start, which are barriers to understanding our Holy Spirit as I and these I, I put up myself. So they may not be exhaustive, they may not be very clever, but I think these really stand in our way of understanding the Holy Spirit. And the one thing is the human mind, just the limitation of the human mind. And we try and apply our minds to the Holy Spirit. We try and think through matters of the Spirit. When the Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So there is some information about him which we can read, we can our minds around, but there is an aspect that is spiritually discerned. So one of the big problems with conceptualizing the Holy Spirit is that there is no real equivalent in our world. God the Father, we've got fathers amongst us. God the Son, we've got sons amongst us, children. And we have a kind of a picture of the relationship that should exist between a father and a son. It's not a very good picture of it. But at least it's something that we can put our minds to. And, and that's how we kind of try and understand God the Father and God the Son. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's nothing. There's nothing for us to, to hang our hat upon. There's nothing for us to really start from. Some of you might think of the Holy Spirit as a spirit, like a ghost. And it's not 
very helpful that uh, in old English, in, in the old English translation of the Bible, it's called the Holy Ghost. So you, you might actually have an idea of the Holy Spirit as some sort of a ghost, which isn't true, as we shall see later on. The other limitation is that church background. Like I, like I said, uh, I might have been misinterpreting our own church teachings. But, you know, church background can stand in the way of how you perceive the Holy Spirit. And it's very unfortunate that what you're taught at a young age kind of sticks with you. It's very difficult to deconstruct that stuff that you were taught at a very young age. That's why it's very important when we teach the children to teach them very well with as much diligence as we teach the adults in this room. Because it's very difficult to take off stuff and introduce new information, as it were. And I don't know where you're coming from, but I don't think anyone has a perfect understanding of everything. So you likely have some stuff which you have to take aside in order that you receive new information. Some of the stuff that you were taught at an early age may be good, some of it outright bad. And you have to contend with that. Traditional beliefs, and here I'm talking in particular of African traditional religion. But I'm sure the same holds for other belief systems. On this side of Africa, we have a lot of belief in ancestral worship. We have a lot of belief in spirit mediums. And a spirit medium is someone who acts or is selected as a conduit or a channel for a spirit or spirits. And when the conditions are right, this person is possessed by that spirit. And they manifest in a certain way. They may be thrown into a trance. They may fit and you know, convulse. They may say stuff. Their voice may change to mimic the so-called ancestor. And then they speak stuff, which is supposedly from these ancestors, and communicate to the people. And I find it's unfortunate that a lot of Shona Christians, consciously or unconsciously, can bring this construct into church. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the idea that's going on in their minds is of a Holy Spirit that possesses them and takes over their faculties and their bodies and makes them do things that they would otherwise not want to do, uncomfortable things. So a lot of people want to keep their dignity and stay away from the Holy Spirit. Because if he possesses you, you don't know what will happen. Past experiences. These are a big one. A lot of, a lot of us aren't first-time Christians. I mean, we, we've had a walk with Jesus. We've been in churches a while. And past experiences can really hold you back from pressing into the Holy Spirit. Maybe someone gave you a word of knowledge some time back. And that word of knowledge, maybe you didn't like it. Maybe it was inaccurate. Maybe it was clearly false. And now you view matters of the spirit with a lot of distrust or mistrust. Maybe a part of your experience where you were in a service where people were ministering and said, does anyone want to receive the Holy Spirit? And you came up and got prayed for, nothing. 
the rest of the rooms start speaking in tongues. You, nothing. And you can come away feeling very embarrassed or feeling very low about yourself. Is something wrong with me? Why did nothing happen to me? Why didn't I speak in tongues? Why didn't I receive the Holy Spirit? Why didn't I experience it the same way the next person experienced the Holy Spirit? And so when we come and we talk about the Holy Spirit, again, you're a bit skeptical maybe, a bit afraid perhaps. You just don't want to be involved. You don't want to expose yourself to that kind of thing anymore. Past experiences. I could go on and on. The experiences that we've had in churches, or in church, and it's not helped by the fact that human beings are not perfect, and some people take advantage of you. Pastors and leaders in churches all over the place can take advantage of the fact that this is mystical, you know, mysterious stuff. And they take advantage of people. But we really need to move past that barrier and press into God. Because if we stay on the fringes and say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to miss out. And I'm going to show you why. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to our walk with Christ. We cannot do without him. Let's turn our Bibles to John 14. John 14 from verse 15 to 28. I've got it up in the slides. It may be a bit small for some of you. And this is the modern King James Version. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, so that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world does not see me anymore. But you see me, because I live. You shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I have spoken these things to you, being present with you. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Context of this conversation was towards the end of Christ's ministry. He was about to be crucified and then rise again and then go back to heaven. And it was a very important conversation because these were the last times of over three years of ministry. 
And I imagine he was trying to communicate to the disciples the very, very important things about all he'd said and done in the last three years. It's a lot like in a football match. These would be the dying minutes of the game. You want to make sure you don't let any goals through. But at the same time, maybe get a late goal. Okay, so very solid in defense and very aggressive in offense. And so this is the context in which Jesus is talking to his disciples. Very important con conversation. And one of the first things we notice from this passage is that the Holy Spirit would come from the Father and would be sent in Jesus' name. That's verse 16 and verse 26. And from the start of this series, we have been stressing that God is one. God is one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. That sounds very correct grammatically, but I think that's the best way I can put it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is one. Is one God, the Trinity. And it's not really surprising that this promised Spirit would come from the Father, would come from the Son. He was so intimately linked with the other two. He would proceed from the Son. But partly because maybe we always say the phrase Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. It's always written that way. Father, Son, and Spirit. We may in our minds get the impression that the Holy Spirit is somehow not as important as the other two. That he comes number three in the hierarchy. But that's not so. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Why do I say that? We notice that if we go back to Genesis 1.1 and we looked at this story a number of times, he was present and active at creation. Verse 2, the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. He was there. He was there when it was all happening. He's always been there. And when they decided to make man in their own image, he is part of the us that is reflected in man. Okay? So the Holy Spirit has always been. He is eternal. He has qualities that we attribute to God the Father and to God the Son. Holy Spirit is God. And if you read carefully in your Bibles, and these are just a few examples, you find that he's mentioned in an, on an equal footing with the other persons of the Godhead. Therefore go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If he were any less, perhaps sometimes he just wouldn't be mentioned. But in the same breath, in the same way, he's being mentioned with God the Father and God the Son on equal footing. Essentially, what I'm saying is that when we talk about God, when we speak about God, when we pray to God, because of our minds, the way that we've been conditioned, we're likely going to think of God the Father or God the Son. But I'm saying equally, we ought to realize that we are talking to God, the Holy Spirit. At the same time, He is God. He is God. They are God. <laughs> Gets confusing, doesn't it? And I think this comment by uh, Kevin DeYoung, I found it as I was reading around this topic, is very good for us to understand. All three persons of the Trinity are fully God. 
Yet in the divine economy, in the, their own design, how they decided things, the Son makes known the Father, and the, then the Spirit glorifies the Son. That's just how God chose to reveal himself to us. But they are God. Holy Spirit is God. Now, the second point I want to make is that the Holy Spirit is a person. And I don't mean a person as in a human being, but he is a person of the Godhead. He is a person of God. One of the reasons that I'll say that is that he is referred to by pronouns. I don't want to go all grammatical on you, but I think it's very important that we use words like he and him and who when we refer to the Holy Spirit. He is not an it. He's not a thing. He's not an item. And especially he's not a force or a power. Right? He is a person. And interestingly, in the Greek, the language in which most of the New Testament was written, we find that the term for Holy Spirit is, is a, neuter, a neutral term. It's neither male nor female. Right? And they would have had reason to say it in reference to the Holy Spirit because it's neither male nor female, the term. But particularly in the passage that we've read, Jesus just kept saying him, him, him. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's a he. It's a him. It's a person that we're talking about. But in case you think that the whole argument is just hinged on grammar, we realize that the Holy Spirit has personality. If I asked you to describe your best friend, you'd tell me a list of characteristics or qualities that your friend has. He's kind, cheerful, happy, you know, gentle. You give me a list of characteristics, and together that makes up the personality of that person. That's what distinguishes them from the next person and from a lifeless object. So we find as we go through the scriptures that there are a number of passages that show us that the Holy Spirit has personality, that he has attributes that would attribute to a life, a living thing, and a person at that. One of the things is that he grieves. But they rebelled in Isaiah 63.10. They rebelled and troubled his spirit or grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. So it's very possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing for this message, I also came across a commentary by Rena, where he went back and looked at the Greek term for the word grieve that's used in Ephesians 4.30. And it's a term that is, it is, it's, the term is lupe. And it's a term for pain, but it's a deep pain, the type of pain that one would experience when spouses are unfaithful to one another. That kind of pain. So it's, it's, it's a distressing pain. The partner is shocked, he's hurt, devastated, wounded, and grieved because of the unfaithfulness. And that's the kind of 
pain that the Holy Spirit experiences. And if you think about it, it's because he loves us so much. So how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Just briefly, I'll... It's when you go against his will and you disobey him knowingly. You grieve the Holy Spirit. When you don't give him the place that he deserves, you grieve the Holy Spirit. So, he's an emotional being. He has a personality. He grieves. And we ought to be very careful that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, touch a bit on that at the end. He loves. I've just mentioned that in the previous kind of point. But Romans 15, 13 says, But I exhort you, brothers, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. This is Paul writing to the Romans. So Holy Spirit is capable of love as only a person would. He can be quenched. He can be resisted. How is it that a God of all creation all-powerful, all-knowing, can be quenched. It's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? But the clue lies in how he relates to us. And God does not force his will on us. And that's a good thing, particularly if you're coming from African traditional religion, like I said before. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't impose himself against our will. Someone said the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. His voice is usually a small one, still small voice, rather than a boisterous storm. But if we're not sensitive to his voice, we don't hear him. Or if we hear him and ignore him, we render him ineffective and we essentially quench him. It means what he's hoping to do amongst us does not happen because we've ignored him and carried on on our own way. Very sobering when you think about this. How else do we know that the Holy Spirit has a personality? He speaks and there are countless scriptures. I've just put a few up there for us to, to look at. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. That's in the book of Acts. Right? So the Holy Spirit has a voice. He has stuff to say. He wants to be heard. And he speaks to us. He talks to us. Are we listening? Do we give him the time to speak to us? Or do we listen to all the other voices? There are so many competing voices that we have to very carefully listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He knows. It's not possible to know if you don't have a mind. It's not possible to know if you're not a person. First Corinthians 2, but God had revealed them to us by the Spirit, and these are the wonders of God, the, 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 the amazing things of God. God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except the spirit of man within him? So also no one knows the things of God 
except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit possesses knowledge, and his knowledge is such that he knows the mind of God. Hallelujah. But he also knows us very well. So he is the perfect mediator between us and God, as I'll show you. So we say the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is a person. But what is his purpose? What is his function to us? Why was he given to us? And if you go back to John 14, you find it's, it's quite clear in there. And I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter so that he may be with you forever. I first want to touch on, the, on another and the word another. This obviously implies that they had a helper. Who was that helper? Jesus himself. Three years he had walked with these guys, he had talked to these guys, he had taught them, he had corrected them, he had trained them. He was their helper. And now he's promising another helper. A picture that came to mind is a bit silly, but I think it's very helpful. When you watch WCW wrestling, those of you who still do that. Right? <laughs> there's the concept of a tag team, isn't there? When there's more than one guy in the ring, in the team. And when he's done his bit in the ring, maybe he's too tired, maybe he's injured, he tags the next guy so that he comes in and takes his place. And in that sense, Jesus had done his bit on earth. And he tagged the Holy Spirit to come and take over from where he left off. To do exactly the same thing. And this is so important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Given to us. To continue his ministry on us. And I don't know what it says in your, in your Bible. The, the version that I read and put up there. It says comforter. But there are so many different terms that are used in the different biblical translations. The helper, advocate, counselor, strengthener, standby, redeemer. What all these different terms are trying to do is to translate the word paraclete, a Greek term which is apparently so rich in meaning that it needs all these different English words to try and say what did they really mean about the Holy Spirit? What is he really? The Spirit also, Romans 8.26, helps us. He helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the, the Holy Spirit is a help in the simplest of the terms. He's an assistant. He helps us to do what we're supposed to do. He helps us to be what we are supposed to be. Right? But if we go back to all these different aspects of it, we get a richer and richer understanding of what this help is. An advocate is someone who in legal world stands before a judge and makes a representation of somebody else. And the accuser is the devil, Satan. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He goes before us 
before God the Father and makes a request on our behalf. He makes a defense on our behalf. He is the go-between. When you've messed up and you don't even know that you've messed up or you don't even know how to express your sorriness, the Holy Spirit goes between you and God and says, God the Father, this guy is your child. Forgive him. Have mercy on him. Have mercy on her. Pour your grace upon her. The Holy Spirit does that. He's our go-between, our advocate. He's also our counselor. And you can look at this word in all sorts of terms. We talk about guidance and counselling in a sense that a counsellor can be someone who gives direction and says, go this way. This is, these are the options. But this is what would happen if you go this way. This is what's going to happen if you go this way. This is what's going to happen if you go this way. From my experience, it would be good for you if you go this way. He's a counsellor. He's a guide. We are not just groping about in the dark in this Christian walk. We have a counsellor, someone who tells us which is the best way to go. But you also have a counselor in the sense of someone who has been grieved and bereaved. Someone who comes and puts your arms around you and says, sorry for your loss. Sorry that you're going through a tough time. Sorry that you are not getting what you thought you'd be getting. But things will be okay because God loves you. And there is a hope and a future for you. So in this sense, it's pretty much similar to a comforter. or He's a counselor. He's a strengthener as well. Think about the police and how they call for backup when things are not going the way that they thought they would. They need backup, and Holy Spirit is a backup. He comes alongside us to give us strength for the tasks that we are trying to achieve, the tasks that we've been given by God. He's a standby, a reserve kind of sort of strength. He's there with us. He's a redeemer. He buys back the one that has been sold for a ransom. And he says, I'll pay the price. This one's mine. I'll pay the price. Holy Spirit is a redeemer. So, he has been given for our benefit. Can you see that? When we are under attack, he gives us uh, protection. When we are ignorant, he gives us wisdom. When we are in despair, he gives us hope. He gives direction when we are lost. He revives us when we are weary. He gives inspiration when we are discouraged. He reminds us when we are forgetful. But it doesn't just end there. He's not just reactive. He doesn't just react to our problems. He's proactive. So he envisions us. He motivates us. He gives us his love, his joy, and his peace to go through life. In spite of the circumstances, he fuels us onwards. He's the wind in our sails as we sing that song. The Holy Spirit pushes us forward into the things of God. Praise God. So the last point I want to make about the Holy Spirit is that he is eternal. And this might seem like Ah, obvious. Because if we said he's God, that means he is forever. He's been there from everlasting to everlasting. 
And he is. But it's very important to understand that he was given us for eternity. Because there are some people and some churches and some denominations that don't quite ascribe to that. And they say, well, the Holy Spirit came, but he was given for Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, but he was given for the early church. And he's no longer active or he's no longer with us anymore. But what we find from the scripture, John 14, is that he was given to us forever. This is the scripture that by which the means by which Jesus was able to say, Lo, I'm with you, even until the end of the age. He went to heaven, he's no longer with us. But his spirit, the Holy Spirit, will be with us forever. And contrast that to how the Holy Spirit used to, act, to, to behave in the olden t- days, in the Old Testament days. He would come upon people at a certain time for a certain purpose and then go away. Isaiah 6, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 14. The spirit of Jehovah departed from Saul. He had been grieved, actually, in this particular passage. And he departed. David, in Psalm 51, he prays that God would not take the Holy Spirit for him. Because this is how he had operated in the Old Testament times. He would come, do his bit, and then go away. But praise God in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are given a permanent seal. The Holy Spirit is with us now and forever. There is never a time when he's going to abandon us to our own devices. There's never a time when he's going to leave you in trouble and just back away and say, you know what? Time to go. Too bad for you. No. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. Moreover, he dwells within us. He's no longer just a presence like a cloud by day or pillar of fire by night. He doesn't live in a tabernacle. He doesn't live in a temple made by human hands. But this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body, my body. And he dwells in there permanently. Hallelujah. I'm about to conclude now, but I feel it's very important that I touch on what we as KP believe the, uh, that the Holy Spirit does amongst us, okay? In our day-to-day living and in our services in particular. Because I hope you realize now that the Holy Spirit is not optional. He's not an extra, like you ask for extra cheese when you buy pizza. He's not something to spice up the Christian's life. But he was given to walk with us. He is Jesus to us today. Right? So we value the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church. Very much so. When we come and gather like we are to this morning, we are really looking forward to the presence of God amongst us. And when I say presence, I've already said he lives within us. But when I say presence, I mean the manifest you know, the manifest presence of God. His ability to be amongst us and to work with us in a special way. And we look forward to that when we come. And I hope from now on, when you come to church, you really have an expectation of meeting with the Holy Spirit. But we don't believe that his presence is something that can be conjured up. 
the, the, the word says, and we were praying about it this morning, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is with them. And so we have faith that because we are gathered in his name, that he is amongst us. Unless we gather without him, and we're gathered not in his name, then we can't expect him to be with us. As long as we are gathering in the name of Jesus, we expect Holy Spirit to be with us. And so we don't spend hours and hours praying for his presence to come. We believe he wants to come. We believe he is here. And we welcome him amongst us. But remember I said, you could grieve the Holy Spirit. You could resist the Holy Spirit. You could actually miss him. He can be amongst us and we miss his presence. Sometimes we've asked the band to stop playing. Or take down the levels. Because something is being said that we believe is of God. And the noise is interfering with that message. Then we say stop. Because it's better to hear from the Spirit than to hear good music. But having said that, we need to be aware that the Holy Spirit doesn't just minister to us in words. And he can minister through music. He can minister through music. And the devil is not very happy when the music is going well. And everyone is engaged. And everyone is worshipping. And sometimes he does throw spanners in the works. And there can actually be spiritual interference to what's going on up here. And you feel the music is off. And the, they just can't get the settings right. And it can be an attack of the, whole, uh, of, of the devil. So we really need to be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing about it. Lest we quench him, lest we ignore him or resist him. We also believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to men and women. That as we are today, we can have gifts of the Holy Spirit. So some can prophesy. Some can give words of wisdom, some can give words of encouragement, etc., etc. Speak in tongues, interpretations. And we really believe that. That's why if someone does bring a word, we take time to listen to it and process what is God saying to us. When someone brings a tongue, we look and pause the worship and say, who has an interpretation? Because the tongue is incomprehensible to our human minds. Without an interpretation, it's not useful to us. It can edify the person that's given the tongue, but it's not useful to the wider body. And so we give time for these gifts. And sometimes Taps especially would say, let's carry on worshiping. Let's not wait for the music. Because it's not all about singing the songs. It's about hearing from him. It's about allowing him to minister to our hearts. It's about him pointing out sin in our lives. And sometimes as you worship, you get me convicted of something that you were happily going on with. And God says, this I don't want in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't just think you've just got a, a stray idea come into your mind. That's how the Holy, the Holy Spirit operates. So we also believe that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in a person. These are the evidence 
of his work in us and through us. So you cannot come to church week on week, month on month, year on year, and remain unchanged if you really are engaging with God. You will be changed from within. And those, that fruit will show forth. We've got a list of fruits that is in Galatians 5, which you, verse 22, which you know very well. But it's not an exhaustive list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. So we do expect, and you should expect, that you're being changed. When you come to church, when you walk with God, when you meet with other believers. If the year end comes and you haven't experienced that change, and no one's been saying, look, you're more gentle this year, have a chat with God. Have a chat with God and say, what, what am I missing? Why am I not growing? Because we ought not to remain the same Christians. Of course, we're on different parts of the walk. That's fine. But you should be making steady progress through the work of the Holy Spirit among us. So, as God works through his Holy Spirit in you and me, people around you and me should notice the character of Christ being formed in you. And that is the evidence of growth and maturity. As you put aside the old self and put on Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is God. Thank you that he is a person. Thank you that he is our helper. And thank you that he is eternal. We thank you, Lord, that you are here among us even today. That you minister to us. That you are very eager to meet with us at our point of need. We pray, God, that our lives will be open to you, that we would be welcoming to you, that we would put aside those hindrances that stand in our way of understanding you and relating to you. We ask, God, that you would change us from the inside more and more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.